that is an opportunity because I mean the UK is one of the biggest private label markets anyway across um, the world uh, in yep. Europe second I think to Switzerland so you know maybe two years ago you're thinking about well how can you grow a market that's already 50% of the market and and it was plateauing to well it was definitely plateauing but something like the cost of living crisis just gives it that little bit of extra impetus um, which definitely is now uh, being seen in in sales and in consumer behavior today i'm delighted to be joined by paul stainton a veteran of the a veteran of the uk grocery industry with over 30 years uh, experience working for retailers and consulting with manufacturers. Uh, Paul was the first UK buyer for Aldi, where I believe you stayed for 31 years. Is that correct? Paul? Yeah, I certainly did, Ben. 31 long years. I'm not too sure yeah. about being called a veteran, but I suppose you've got to uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to accept when the inevitable comes. But yeah, that's true. That's that, that, that's true. So, Paul, welcome to the Innovate Podcast. Delighted to have you on. Um, how are you Thanks. today? Yeah, no, really well. Thanks, Ben, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, yeah, no, looking forward to having a chat. It's our, our, our pleasure. So I guess, first of all, let's just set the scene. Do you want to just tell, tell the listeners a bit about your uh, your background and what, what you're doing now at IPLC? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you said, uh, uh, very lucky to be the first buyer at uh, Audi. Um, so that was back in 1989, um, some time ago wow. now. Amazing okay. to think that, uh, you know, Audi's been around in the UK that long. Uh, yeah. Prior to then, I was with the co-op for three years. And um, yeah, um, great times at Audi, um, some difficult times and some some great times um, in terms of the way that the business developed. Um, but for the last couple of years, uh, I've now been linking up with IPLC, um, International yeah. Private Label Consultancy, and work with um, many um, food suppliers, uh, drink suppliers across the private label industry, um, both helping them on projects with uh, sort of how to set strategies to increase their private label business, uh, but also uh, meeting up with suppliers, um, you know, non-competing suppliers to talk about challenges and opportunities within the private label space. Uh, okay. So, yeah, very much uh, enjoying uh, this new sort of style of, of um, I suppose, career following some excellent years at Audi. Yeah, very interesting. So we'll, we'll, we'll get stuck into the, your, your background at Aldi and also your, your views on private label uh, in the main bulk of the, uh, the, the podcast in a minute or two. Um, just to kind of, um, again, kind of introduce you a little bit more to the listeners, we, we tend to do some kind of rapid fire questions just to, uh, just to get the podcast going. So um, what, what's your, your favourite city in the UK for food, uh, Paul, from, from an eating out perspective, I guess? Ooh, city for food. Um... I think it's got to be my sort of home ground of uh, Birmingham. Uh, okay. and, and the reason being, it's the home of the Balti. Um, <laughs> <laughs> clearly one of my, my, my favorite foods. Uh, I, I love a, any Indian food. Um, and Birmingham is the home of the Balti. It's got the Balti Triangle, got the most Balti restaurants in any city in the UK. And uh, I, I guess that's my initial reaction. Hey, look, yeah. you know, most cities, um, you know, the food that you can get nowadays, um, it's just fantastic. Uh, so it's nice where there's a little bit of uniqueness. And I still feel that when I go into Birmingham, Baltyland yeah. in particular, uh, in, the, in the area of Spark Hill and Spark Brook, it's fantastic. 
Yeah, very good. Well, I went to university in Birmingham, so I, I read that well, note quite as well as you do. But yeah, certainly have sampled some of the curries over the years. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the old curry houses where actually you didn't even have a knife and fork. It was all your bolty dish and your naan bread and you just sort of made yeah, a mess. Yeah. But it, it didn't really matter because normally you'd probably, certainly in your university days, you might have had two or three pints beforehand or maybe more. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, and, and just thinking about the food industry, um, yeah, generically at the moment, what, what, what would you say to a kind of a young person, maybe one who's just finished university uh, and, and is looking to kind of um, make a move into the food industry? What, what, would, your, what would your advice be to them? Um, I mean, it's a great industry to be in. Uh, we, we all need to food to eat food um, and we will always need to eat food. And so in one yeah. way or another, um, it's an industry where the dynamics change depending on, you know, what's going on in the world and uh, in the nation. Um, and it's so interesting because it just develops. It just seems to be able to reinvent itself um, year in, year out. I think, you know, therefore it's a great career. It's a great career to get into. Um, whether that is from a, a retailer, a supplier, or restaurants, or, or whatever the angle is, we all have an interest in food. And when you're talking then to your family, to your friends, everybody's got an opinion. So yeah. it, it's a very general um, area to be in, and one which has got so many great opportunities uh, from retail supplier side that, um, yeah, you, you would not be doing yourself injustice by thinking, yeah, I want to go into the food industry. Yeah, 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 agreed. And and, and you, you've spent what I imagine is the vast majority of your career in the food industry. If you hadn't have, have kind of landed within uh, within food and consumer goods, where, where would you have loved to have spent your career? Um, probably on the golf course for all my career, if I could. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, if I'm honest, food was always of interest to me, uh, albeit right. I did study accountancy at, uh, at uni, okay. at Salford Uni. Um, but that put me off, uh, uh, I think, accountancy for life, or at least lots of spreadsheets. Now, I mean, I think food, you always have that sort of um, inane sort of interest in, and, and that's why I was in it from day one. So I've not really right. thought about um, where else I'd like to be other than, uh, yeah, if I had started on the golf course back then, then maybe I could be a little bit better than I am now. <laughs> okay, we'll say, we'll say semi-pro golfer. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, okay, very good. So we're going to get into the main bulk of the, uh, the, the podcast now. So kind of d delve into the world of um, private label from a, a buying and product perspective. Um, yeah, try and kind of visualize where, where private label is 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 heading, where, what the opportunity is uh, for it now, and uh, what it needs to kind of be fit for purpose in this the, the kind of current economic climate. Uh, I mean, the obvious kind of really interesting area of your background is the amount of time that you went on that you spent with LD and the kind of the journey that you went on from what I presume was very few stores in the UK to to many hundreds of uh, UK and what that was like to be part of. Uh, and then, yeah, as I said, we'll talk more generically about your views on that on the sector. So um, let, let's start with private label, I think, first of all. So what, what would your kind of high level observations be on the, the opportunity for private label uh, within the food and drink market right now? Uh, well, uh, all I could say, it's a huge opportunity for private label. Um, always is and always has been when, um, you know, we've been in the recession or high interest rates or people's um, spending power has reduced. And, you know, we are in a Dramatic area, state at the moment, I would suggest, where, you know, the cost of living crisis has really bit. And it's already been seen, not just in the UK, but also um, worldwide in terms of 
uh, a spending choice into private label. And, and there's definitely been a movement. So only recently, um, I think it was Kantar who reported that private label now is something like 53% um, of the UK market. Um, it's growing uh, ahead of the market as well. Um, and to the detriment of brands, because um, clearly right. you know, there's only percent that you can get. And I think that's, that is an opportunity because, I mean, the UK is one of the biggest private label markets anyway across um, the world. Uh, in yep. Europe, only second, I think, to Switzerland. So, you know, maybe two years ago, you're thinking about, well, how can you grow a market that's already 50% of the market? And, and it was plateauing to, well, it was definitely plateauing. But right. something like the cost of living crisis just gives it that little bit of extra impetus, um, which definitely is now uh, being seen in, in sales and in consumer behavior. So right. big opportunity. And I think retailers and private label manufacturers alike, if they're not really focusing on their private label offer at the moment, then, you know, they are going to struggle uh, a little bit over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. And, and from what you're seeing across the market with the, the, the work that you're doing, um, you know, for, for IPLC, do you, do you think that the private label manufacturing sector is, is going to be able to kind of um, absorb and cope with these inflationary pressures uh, at the moment because they're arguably you know they're not they're not going to ease off anytime soon no i mean clearly um manufacturers at the moment are totally swamped with um having to deal with costs uh and, and as you say the raw material increases commodity increases um some of them having to uh look at maybe the fourth fifth or even i've heard sixth cost increases that they then have to propose to their retail customers um, yeah. And they're also having to cope with uh, availability. Um, you know, there are some shortages of products, as we well know, uh, oil being, uh, you know, very well uh, known. Wheat is now starting to become an issue. Some key ingredients um, within the food industry that are causing maybe shortages, certainly delays, therefore availability issues at the supplier's end. And then if you... Add to that then some of the products that they're selling, um, the demand is going up in terms of mm -hmm. private label products. Then the retailers are struggling with availability. They're putting pressure onto the suppliers. And, and overall, you know, it's, it's, it really it's just uh, the, the perfect storm for suppliers in terms of how they're coping. Um, right. So, yeah, it's, it's very tough out there at the moment. Um, but the, what, the suppliers that I'm talking to and the suppliers that, you know, IPLC talks to across Europe, um, it's the ones who are collaborating as best as they possibly can with their mm -hmm. retail customers who are getting through this perfect storm. Okay. Um, okay, well, well, we're going to talk a little bit about innovation for a moment or two, which might seem a little strange because, you know, we are seeing many businesses kind of shy away from, investment in innovation but just back to the kind of the private label opportunity for a moment do, do you think that product innovation has got an important role to play within that opportunity over the coming months and years uh without doubt ben it's it's got a huge role to play because what else are you looking at other than just firefighting with costs and availability if you're not looking to develop your business either as a retailer within your private label range or in terms of 
your manufacturer or supplier in, in helping their retail customers develop great new private label innovation, then you're not going to, you, you're just not going to attract consumer interest and therefore consumer loyalty. At the moment, um, one of the outcomes of the cost of living crisis is the consumers are shopping around. Um, loyalty has definitely diminished, certainly across some of the established retailers. And we're seeing a lot of people and consumers both deflecting over, if that's the word, or, or choosing, should I say, to go over and, and shop at discounters and variety stores, um, and also spending less at their traditional supermarket that they will have shopped at. Yeah. And that's in order to save money, and it's understandable. One way that all retailers should be trying to keep hold of their customers is by launching great new innovative products, keeping their range fresh. Um, we all know that innovation did take a little bit of a backstep during the first year of the pandemic. It did pick yeah. up in 2021. And, you know, certainly there's been some fantastic innovation going on. But if you're not working on your categories and looking at how to both innovate with new products, but also um, upgrade, update um, your existing products, you know, known as uh, existing product development or EPD to some uh, within the marketplace, then you're definitely going to suffer uh, at the hands of your competitors. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so I think you, you and I both, you know, kind of, uh, you know, in favour of uh, manufacturers and retailers continuing to invest in innovation at the moment. Are, are you seeing manufacturers kind of approach you and having to dial back on uh, on, on investment in either innovation or, or, or marketing or category due to the kind of the, the financial challenge that they're facing at the moment? Yeah. Um... I, I have not really seen a great deal of dialing back of late because I think okay. they all realise what, what I've just said. They all realise that they have got to um, develop new products for their retail customers. I, I always say to every supplier and manufacturer, um, the way you're going to keep your business uh, with your key customers is to be on the front foot, be proactive. Um, yeah. it, it's absolutely essential for private label manufacturers as well as branded manufacturers you know brands are expected to innovate however the speed to market can be much slower with brands you know there's a lot of consumer tasting testing that needs to go on there's a lot of um investment required for brands you know if, if you're going to launch a new product you've got to be thinking about your marketing budget etc etc so a yeah. brand relaunch I, I we all understand it's a big thing for that brand Within private label, it's a lot more dynamic. Um, you know, speed to market can be quicker, needs to be quicker, mm -hmm. um, but uh, it can be. And it's also more, more dynamic in terms of you can be a little bit more adventurous in what you launch. So as a manufacturer, why are you not going out to all of the um, stores in the UK and beyond looking to see what's going on in terms of new products, going into restaurants and looking to see what new flavours are coming out in, in meals and, and dishes, um, doing lots of research and understanding um, where your category is and therefore being able to be proactive to your main customers to say, 
this is what you should be doing in your in your category. You know, the retailers themselves, really, really busy. You know, they are managing, as we said earlier, cost price increases. They're managing availability, yeah. which is the key for them. They are having less time to go out and look to see what's going on, where new innovation is going to come from. So they will be expecting their suppliers to do it. So it's absolutely essential. And therefore, I, you know, I haven't really seen or experienced a great deal of, of, of manufacturers that I know saying, oh, no, we're just going to put uh, innovation in, to, a side, to the side at the moment. Because to be yeah. honest with you, you know, that could be commercial suicide. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, that's that, that, that's good to hear. So let, let's um, let's let's reflect back on your time at Aldi for a, uh, for a moment. So you you were there for uh, was it 30, 31 years, I think you said. So yeah. just just I guess kind of describe that journey first of all in terms of the, the Aldi journey yeah. during that time and their kind of their role in the market from from when you yeah. joined in nineteen eighty nine through to when you left uh, in in twenty twenty. Sure. Well, you know, it was for me it was it was a delight to see them move into the number four spot uh, a couple of weeks ago in the latest. Yes, I imagine, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, because when, when Audi first came into the UK, I, I literally, we, we were buying without any stores. So, you know, I, I joined in eight, 1989 and we opened our first store in April 1990 in Birmingham, as it happens. Okay. Um, and so we were pulling together a product range which... Um, in hindsight, which is always a wonderful thing, was a little bit of a, a mix and match of products. Uh, we got a bit of private label in there. We had some brands in there. We had what we called, and the industry sometimes calls tertiary brands in there. So sort yep. of secondary brands that don't have much distribution, but uh, manufacturers can offer them out. And, um, you know, we, we opened up and uh, not surprisingly, because of Aldi and, and indeed subsequently Lidl coming into the UK, um, it's all about price, price, price. And, you know, it was fascinating times because um, people were just not expecting the sort of prices that we came out with at Aldi. So the first few years just became a battleground of price. Uh, quick save, the uh, discounter was still around at that time. Uh, white label products, private label products came in, such as Quick Saves, No Frills, and the Tesco value, value products, uh, just with prices to try and match Aldi. Uh, and then in 1993, Lidl as well, when they started up in the UK. So really, for the first 10 years or so, it was all about price rather than quality. I would suggest that quality was okay, but um, it wasn't really, where, well, it certainly wasn't anywhere where it is now. Uh, across the noughties, um, I think, you know, ranges then expanded, uh, certainly the Audi range expanded. Um, but in reality, it was still a little bit Germanic, um, a little bit continental uh, and, you know, less relevant to the uh, full shop that um, Audi then focused on back in sort of just after the credit crunch, really, in 2009. And that was right. the turning point for me in terms of where discounters have developed in the UK, because both Audi and Lidl decided that, you know, what we're doing is OK, but we've got one or two or three percent of the market, you know, and, and we never we don't seem to be able to capture um, consumers from the big four. Um, right. So. Both retailers, and Audi sort of led this, um, developed more of a, uh, let's start again, and let's look at uh, still having a limited range, but uh, enabling the consumer to do 
fairly much of a full shop with us. So, you know, for Aldi's perspective, that meant selling a heck of a lot more produce, fresh meat, cooking ingredients in particular, home baking, those sort of products. And in some instances, it meant bringing in products which probably previously would not have hit the rate of sale required for a limited retailer, limited range retailer to keep in their range. So accepting some service lines was the, is the best way to describe it. And coupled with that was a step up in quality. Um, and I, I, I remember that, you know, we, we brought in virtually every single item again and, and re-looked at the, the, the benchmarking within the, the market. Who should we benchmark against? Maybe it's the brand, maybe not the brand at times, because it's not necessarily the fact that the brand is the best quality in all product areas. Um, but being able to go back out to our suppliers or potential suppliers and saying, look, you know, we're happy with where we were, but we need to be even better. So here's the benchmark as to what we need to get to. Those are the ingredients of the benchmark. What can you do? Uh, and, and basically upping the quality uh, that way. So a more relevant range, a better quality, um, other things such as great packaging, um, fantastic in-store experience, which was another big thing at Audi and Lidl. You know, the 90s, they were seen as being, you know, the cheap and cheerful discounters got better during the noughties, but certainly in the 2010s with um, initiatives such as Audi's Project Fresh, which has sort of freshened up and livened up and modernized the whole of the store, um, have really upped their game. And, And, you know, the shopping experience within discounters also took a massive step up. Um, so in, in conclusion, you've got range, you've got quality, and you've got mm-hmm. an in-store experience. And if you get all of those things right, the the advertising needs to be good. And don't get me wrong, yeah. Aldi's advertising was another big, big reason for their, their success in the noughties. Sorry, right. in the 2010s. But yeah. also word of mouth. Word of mouth, people start talking positively about the discount experience and the discount products. And therefore, it's no longer seen as being, I suppose, an embarrassment to shop at the discounters. In mm-hmm. fact, it's seen as being smart to shop at the discounters. Yeah. And we saw yeah. that. And that was really what happened then to turn the business around and, 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 and have a very successful business within the 2010s and now into the 20s. Yeah, I, I remember from a consumer perspective, after the 0809 credit crunch, it almost became a kind of a badge of honour to, to shop at discounters like Aldi and Aldi and Little. It was quite a trendy thing, I, I seem to remember people started started doing. Um, so that in, in the 2010s then, I guess the, 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 just the sheer number of customers that you were serving um, multiplied massively. What, what did that enable from a from a product perspective, either from ranging or from product product innovation? Yeah, well, I mean, clearly, when your volumes increase, you attract more and more suppliers. And uh, yeah. I certainly remember in the nineties having a few fallouts with suppliers who just didn't want to know about Audi, uh, and I sort of get it because you know they they were a disruptor. Um, they were small volumes, uh, you know, wanting to have great, you know, the, the best own label products, but own label and private, private label, it's all about running volumes through your, your factories, uh, to get yeah. the great prices that you need. 
So, you know, the, the turnaround, I suppose, in the 2010s allowed Audi to have good volumes, along with a great store opening programme. We have to remember the amount of investment that Audi has put into the UK and, you know, the number of stores per year has been at around about the 50 level, um, you know, approaching the 1,000 store, which will be next year, and, and Lidl very close behind. And, um, you know, when you get the the economies of scale through the volumes, you attract the great, the best suppliers. And I think that, from a buying point of view, was a, was another key turning point for, for Audi because you get the best suppliers, you get the best quality, the best quality control, um, and hopefully also, you know, great economies of buying in terms of, you know, the, the, the bigger suppliers have got bigger production facilities and um, yeah. therefore should, should be able to produce at a lower cost. Um, yeah. so, this, so that was one thing. And then the other thing really is that I think as, as you grow and you gain consumer confidence, you also have the ability to try things a little bit more. Uh, and, right. and the one area where Audi in particular has done so well in the 2010s and continues to do so is in their premium own label tier, the specially selected range. Right. Um, they're now actually, they've got 14%, just over 14% of the premium own label tier uh, in the marketplace. Gotcha. So that, right. you know, that's uh, yeah, with 9% of the overall market, they've actually got 14% of the premium tier. And one of the reasons for that is because the specially selected has enabled Audi to try loads of different things, um, and in particular at seasonal times, so Easter, Christmas, um, in uh, th th those those times, the the Audi range is just magnificent in terms of yeah. sort of products that they try. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think you know it, over a period of time that then um, I suppose enables the overall impression of the own label range to grow even higher. Because if you have a really good premium tier of amazing quality, innovative, um, you know, sort of uh, unusual but uh, highly uh, regarded and well-sourced products, it then raises the profile of the rest of the products that you're selling. Uh, right. And, okay. you know, okay, standard tier in Audi, Lidl and everywhere is still the majority of where the sales are. But I think Audi's premium tier and Lidl do a reasonable job with Deluxe as well. Um, I think that's been a, another step change uh, and game changer within the marketplace. How interesting. I, I didn't know that Aldi had such a market share within premium. That's, that's really interesting. Has that yeah. ena enabled them to, um, to, to lead with, with product innovation? Do they, do they bring products to market that are, that are unique within the market, within, within that premium tier, or are they still kind of looking around and, and, and seeing what's, what's working and just reacting extremely quickly? I think it comes back to my earlier um, point about it's down to the suppliers to be proactive and innovative and just come up with the ideas. And, and my advice to suppliers uh, is don't hold back in what you think might sell, even if there's right. not a great deal of market data behind it. In that specially selected area, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you one example. And we're just about uh, around about Halloween time now, aren't we? But I remember last year they had Halloween burgers and, and you'd probably wonder, Ben, what, what, what's he on about? How can you make a burger, a Halloween burger? Well, what Audi did was they basically have a, had a, a lovely quarter pound beef burger with a pumpkin-shaped red Leicester cheese uh, on the top of it. So it was right. a burger lot. 
uh, and they put four of those into a pack. They put a lovely Halloween design on. They sold it with other Halloween products uh, in the chiller for a limited period of time. Uh, they got great PR for it, and they the, the product seemed to sell well. And it's unusual. Uh, and then elsewhere within the specially selected range, um, you know, they're selling products like a Spanish Spanish manchego cheese. I would never have considered that when I was the Audi cheese buyer back in the sort of late 90s. They, they're selling some fantastic gastro pub meals such as lamb moussaka and fish pies, uh, hog roast sausage ro rolls. Who would have thought of a hog roast sausage roll? Um, only the other day I was picking up some smashed avocados, three avocados already smashed, ready for yeah. me to use. All of those products, I don't think any, and there's loads more, hundreds more, I don't yeah. think any manufacturer would have th thought, yeah, I've got great market data on there. I'm going to be able to now try and sell that into a retailer. What would have happened would be either between the buyer or the manufacturer, or, or maybe, you know, one or a combination of the both. They've just come up with these ideas and thought, shall we give it a go? Yeah, go on, let's give it a go. And I'm yeah. sure, you know, with all new product developments where there, there is quite a high failure rate, um, there's probably have been a few products which Aldi and Lidl have launched and, and, and haven't worked. You can often see that because they won't repeat it the next year. But my, right. my word, I think there's a huge amount that have worked. Um, uh, and, yeah, it's, it created a really good point of differentiation for them as well. Right, okay. Okay, so a lot of their innovation is, is seasonally focused either at events or, or kind of key selling seasons like summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still a lot going on, don't get me wrong, during the year. Um, and it's not all in specially selected. Um, you know, a big thing which we faced at Audi, and, you know, there's still the odd legal dispute, isn't there? Uh, let's not mention too many things uh, yep. about pulling <laughs> the villa. But um, is the Me Too sort of thing, which, you know, the discounters have, have been criticised over. But if you think about it, if you're offering a range of... Know, 2,000 or so core range items to the, your consumers, whereas a Tesco or a Sainsbury's would be offering 25 to 30,000 across brands and private label, you have got to indicate to your consumer that product X is supposed to be like brand Y. Uh, and, right. you know, only recently I've seen Audi have just launched some really great Me Too uh, ice cream tubs uh, and they actually, they're, they're quite open. I think, you know, pub, pre, through the press, they say, look, we're 30% cheaper than the brand on. These were like Oreo-type products and flake-type ice cream tubs. And when you look at the packaging, you think, you know, the, the critic would, might, might say, oh, just too similar. They're just taking the mick. But I think Audi have got a very good way of giving out the product indicators, um, but not totally totally ripping off the brand and, and you know once or twice they may have made a mistake and they've re rectified that mistake in the past but they've got mm -hmm. to be able to indicate look that that is the the brand that we're trying to emulate and they're doing lots of that and they're doing that throughout the year i've seen some great innovation within their confectionery area of late um they're plant-based um which I know has been mentioned on a few of the previous podcasts you've done, Ben, but the, the, the plant-based market, which is a very uh, dynamic market or has been in the last uh -huh. two or three years with regards to new product in, innovation, um, 
Aldi, within their freezer, they've got two or three cabinets devoted to a plant menu brand, which is their own label, plant-based brand. And again, coming up with some super products. I tried some fish fingers or non-fish fingers, should I call it, the right. other day. And uh, they, they, they were tremendous. So, yeah, lots of great innovation still happening outside of the seasonal areas as well. Okay. And you mentioned the, 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 the multiple retailers there, the Tesco's, the, the, the Sainsbury's. I mean, if, if you were kind of jumping over to the other side of the, 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 the fence and advising those guys at the moment about what they can do from a, a private label and a, and a product perspective to, to try and um, you know, counteract the growth of the discounts, what, what sort of things would you be talking to them uh, about at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough for them. I, you know, it's 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 one of those areas. If you know, if you've got a business of the size of Tesco, as the Saints, but you've got to look after your brands. Um, you know, brand brands is you know, people come to you for the brands, and and you know, a huge source of your income will be through margin and and promotional monies from the brands. So, getting that balance between brands and own label is is is, is a real art for the uh, for the big retailers. Um, you know, it's been clear that they've been trying to tackle the growth of the discounters um, using different methods. Uh, a really clear one has been the Aldi price match, which, you know, we saw Tesco introduce um, in 2020 and then Sainsbury's have their version in 2021. Um, you know, flattering the discounters, a lot of people have said, uh, you know, almost promoting the discounters yeah. themselves. But, uh, I understand why they've done it because they were seeing the discounters taking business away from them. And for sure, I, I certainly remember when Tesco launched their Audi price match, it did stem the switching away from Tesco into Audi. It did, it did sort of stem that for a period of time. Now within there, they are using their sort of discounter brands, which again was quite an interesting development when uh, a few years back, Tesco started it all off by moving out of Tesco value and trying to almost replicate the Audi and Lidl um, exclusive brands by having their own exclusively at Tesco, exclusively at Sainsbury's brands. Um, my own personal view on that, certainly at the time, was they were rebranding, but not necessarily matching the Audi quality. Uh, or the legal quality. And, and I think that was possibly not the right thing to do because they were trying to say, well, this is an Audi equivalent product. But then when you looked at some of the ingredients, it wasn't. Um, some ingredients have changed over the years. Some products have gone, some products have been added. And I would say that, you know, the the quality differences between those exclusive ranges at, our, at Tesco and Sainsbury's um, is a little bit closer now to Audi and Lidl, but it's still not exactly the same. Uh, in fact, some of the products are clearly the same quality as uh, the value tier at both Audi and at Lidl. Right. So that's the first thing that I saw. I, then clearly we've seen a lot of um, activity in terms of trying to, dis, I suppose, combat the discounters by increasing value tier products, in mm -hmm. particular Asda. Now, whether their extension of their, or rather their rebrand of their smart price and farm stores into just essentials and their doubling of the range, whether that's actually to try and stem the growth of the discounters or whether it's just to pick up on where the economic climate is at the moment, only Asda would be able to answer that. Um, but again, that's a really interesting development within the own label market at the moment, 
where you know we are seeing growth in the value tier, albeit off a very small base. Value tier is only about four or five percent of the own label market. Okay. Um, but Astra have gone for it, and they're just essentials range. They've said, no, we're going to double this range. We're going to launch it within you know six months, and they've just gone ahead and done it. And they're now having to limit the purchase uh, of their consumers to three items per product at the moment yeah. because they simply just can't keep up with availability. So it seems to be working. And, and just looking at Asda sales, they seem to be sort of just recovering a little bit. And maybe they are stemming discounted growth uh, through their just essentials. Um, but similarly, if you then also take Asda, I know that um, you know they, they've just uh, launched a few extra, extra special products. So going back to that premium tier, and really interestingly, they're, they're almost matching some of the Audi products. I was looking the other day at some pasta and some soup, which they've launched under Extra Special. And I'm thinking, well, I recognize those products, or at least very similar, maybe the flavors are slightly different, but similar products in the Audi specially selected range. Um, the one thing to point out there is that the Audi products are still, I think, something like 20% cheaper than those as the Extra right. Special products. But um, as they're attacking there on the premium tier. Uh, and then the other one, which I, which I must mention, because I, I do find this interesting as well, is, is seasonal products again. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know Tesco, the last couple of years, they've launched their, chocolate, their own label chocolate reindeer, which is almost uh, a mimic as to what Aldi have been selling very successfully uh, for many, right. many years. So actually then thinking, okay, well, you know, the discounters are very successful in a seasonal time and seem to sell lots of chocolate reindeers or sp special um, flavoured mince pies or, you know, wh wh whatever else, the chocolate coins, that sort of thing. So there's been a lot more activity in the private label um, uh, ranges of the bigger supermarkets in those areas, I believe, as a, as a tactic to try and match or at least stem the growth of the discounters. So right, okay. a lot of things going on there, Ben, but I think one thing to maybe sort of just conclude on that, everybody can try and copy or do their own versions of it. Um, it is a different shopping experience in Aldi to the bigger supermarkets. So, and you're never gonna be able to, to copy that. I mean, Tesco tried it with Jack's and it didn't work. Um, yeah. So differentiation is the key about private label, and it's coming up with unique products that aren't available elsewhere. And that, I think, is the challenge for the big supermarkets is what can they do within their private label ranges that are actually different to what Aldi and Lidl have got in their more limited ranges? And if they can find the answer to that, then, then I think they will succeed. Very interesting. It's a, a very fierce battleground. Uh, for sure. And, and how, how do you think um, the, the multiple retailers can kind of prevent the, the discounters just looking at what they're doing and reacting very quickly? Because that seems to have been a theme over the past five or 10 years is that, you know, other, other retailers would launch products and Aldi would, would within weeks, they'd, they'd have them on, on the shelf. Is that is that just in, inevitable and unstoppable? Or are there products that, that could be maybe unique to the kind of the shopping base of a, of a multiple retailer? Well, um, I think it is almost inevitable. Uh, you know, the discounters will always be looking at the new product development of the big retailers. And certainly 
trying to gauge whether there is consumer acceptance in that. It's quite difficult to do yeah. that, but you, you can see that in stores, whether people are buying products. Yeah. Um, and if they are successful, and you know, maybe if they win awards um, or, 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 yeah, or they just get a high profile, you can be assured that the uh, discounter buyers will be looking and talking to their suppliers about, well, what can you do yeah. to match it? Um, I suppose, you know, choice of supplier is important. Uh, you know, if you can get exclusivity uh, mm-hmm. as a, you know, one of the big, big retailers, if they can develop products, whatever they may be, and say, look, this needs to be exclusive. Um, and if an agreement can be agreed that way, then it makes it a little bit more difficult for other retailers to match what you've done. But there is an inevitability that any successful products, be them brands or private label within the marketplace that are not in the discounters will eventually end up on shelf in one way or form format mm-hmm. from the discounters. And yeah. therefore, yeah. the only answer to that is just, you've just got to keep on reinventing new products. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that, that, that uh, leads us on nicely to the kind of the final question, because unfortunately we, we are uh, coming to the... Uh, the close of the uh, the episode from a from a product perspective, what, what's the, the the best thing that you've seen um, brought to market uh, in, in the last year or two? It doesn't need to be kind of discounter related. Just the most, you know, kind of uh, impactful piece of product innovation that you that you've seen and why. Um, the one that springs to mind is it was really developed during the pandemic, but actually only launched just as we were coming out of lockdown. And um, Tesco launched their restaurant collection of um, three fantastic, they were sous vide, it's the type of production method that means the products are partially cooked and the consumer finishes them off in their oven. But sous vide uh, meals for two, and um, I bought a couple of them, and, and you know, you, you you buy this big box. It looks fantastic. It was under the Tesco Finest brand. Uh, you opened it up. You had a, a lovely, colourful card inlay. Almost, well, it did have the menu of what was in the box. Um, right. It had some great images. It also had a QR code that led you through to a video that showed somebody preparing it. Underneath, you then had individually numbered so you couldn't get it wrong you know your main course i mean there was a chicken papillon and there was a fantastic ox cheek uh, option uh with creamed mash um honeyed parsnips or carrots um a lovely dessert and there was even a little pot of snacks that you you know they encouraged you to have whilst you were preparing them And the one, you know, indulgent, but it was really a great uh, alternative to eating out. And um, I wouldn't surprise me if they didn't come back, because I think one thing that is going to happen over the next few months, well, it's already happening, is people are eating out less and they're wanting to create the restaurant experience in home. But these products, they impressed me so much because um, they were of fantastic quality, but they also showed that you can sell a private label product at 25 or 30 pounds because uh, right. the oxygen one, I think, was £30 per box. And okay. yes, they great displays in cabinets, in chill cabinets in the front of the store, but actually they looked like they were selling as well. So uh, really impressive. That's, that's the one that really stands out for me. Yeah, that's really pushing the price in from a private label perspective, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought that would be possible five or ten years ago. It absolutely is, yeah. And, and I'm seeing in store now, okay, those products aren't around at the moment. I, I'm imagining they may come back, but... Um, mm-hmm. 
certainly Tesco and, and, and some of the other big retailers, they are selling um, the sous vide meat products at £10 on an ongoing basis. Morrison's have just launched yeah. a great range. So, uh, yeah, it does show that the, the, the price, I suppose, um, ceiling for private label products, there isn't one now. Interesting. Um, Paul, it's been fascinating talking to you. We have sadly uh, run out of time for today's episode. I could talk for many hours more. Um, it's been so interesting to hear about uh, your Aldi journey and, and your views on the private label market. So uh, all that remains for me to say is, Paul, thank you for your time. Pleasure. And um, we will look forward to welcoming you back at a future future date. Um, that's the end of the, uh, the, the this uh, episode of the Innovate podcast. Uh, many thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, and we look forward to welcoming you to the uh, to the next episode. Thank you very much uh, and goodbye. We really hope you enjoyed that episode of the Innovate podcast. To hear more bi-weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button below. Thank you.